to start our get into the message for this morning. I heard last week that Ivan Strain did a tremendous job reminding us that it is all about Jesus. Today, I want to return us to our series on Jeremiah, the branch of an almond tree. And what we're going to talk about today is making better choices. Now, I'm going to warn you on the front end, we're going to cover two full chapters out of Jeremiah. It's a lot of reading, but I promise I'm going to keep it moving and I'm going to do my best to sort of draw out insights that I think are relevant. By no means are we going to draw everything out, but we're going to try to draw out relevant insights. So there was this politician. He wasn't the most scrupulous. He wasn't, you know, a very upright politician and he dies. And uh, he finds himself standing at the pearly gates and there is St. Peter who greets him. And St. Peter is a bit surprised to see the politician standing at the pearly gates. As a matter of fact, he says to the politician, you know, uh, we're kind of surprised that you're here. We don't really get many people like you up here at heaven. So when I saw you coming, I had to consult with our, my supervisor and I, and we, we kind of put our heads together and we decided that before you can enter heaven, we need you to spend a day in hell and then a day in heaven. And then we're going to let you make the choice because this is just unusual. We were caught off guard that you showed up here. So he takes the politician, escorts him to the elevator, pushes the down button, and down he goes into hell. And the door's open, and he's standing on a beautiful golf course. Perfect weather. Country club off in the distance. He makes his way over there. All of his colleagues and friends are there. They're eating lobster rolls and oysters, and they're having a grand old time. Everybody's laughing and drinking and mixing it up. He squeezes in a round of 18. I mean, it's just one of the best days ever. Satan himself, the devil comes over, puts him ar his arm around him, tells him a joke or two. And before he knows it, the 24 hours are up. And Satan says, well, you're going to have to go back up now, upstairs, and now you spend your day in heaven. And so he puts him in the elevator, up he goes. Gets to heaven, and heaven's amazing. He floats around on clouds all day. He's totally content listening to people play the harp. And before he knows it, the day's over. Peter takes him. They go back out to the pearly gates. And Peter says, well, what'd you think? And the politician thought about it for a minute. And he said, you know, I, I really don't know what to think. I'm totally surprised. I mean, heaven was awesome. Don't get me wrong. But man, I had a great time down in hell. And he goes, I never thought I would say something like this. But I think, I think I'm going to choose hell. Peter says, okay. Walks him to the elevator, pushes the down button, down he goes, doors open, and it's a complete wasteland. There's burning sulfur, no golf course, no country club, no lobster or nice food. His friends are dressed in rags. They've got chains on them. They're being whipped and tortured by demons. Satan walks over, puts his arm around him, says, welcome back. Happy you made your choice starts leading him over to put chains on him and put him in the line with all the other people there in torment. And, and the politician says, wait, wait a second, I don't understand. Yesterday, it was so great, but today it's so horrible. What has happened? The devil smiles and he says, yesterday, we were campaigning. Today, you voted. <laughs> How many times 
in your life have you said to yourself, I wish I would have made a better choice? If you're like me, I feel like I live in a constant state of, I wish I would have made a better choice. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 5 and 6 today. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning, and we do pray for your spirit to speak to us at this time through your word. Help us to open our hearts up and receive the word and the message that is in it for us today. Do pray for those who have suffered the last day. So many bad choices, God. Help us to be people who learn the lessons and make better choices. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 5, verse 1. Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. Although they say, as surely as the Lord lives, they are swearing falsely. Lord, do not, do not your eyes look for truth. You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. I thought, these are only the poor. They're foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I will go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. So in Jeremiah's chapter 1 through 4, if you've been with us since the beginning of the series... We learn that the people of Judah, the nation of Judah, had been steeped in immorality, idolatry, and a lack of repentance for many, many years. You could even say many decades. And now as a consequence, the kingdom of Babylon was arising, and they were on their way to the, to, to, to the area of, of Palestine where Judah was to destroy and conquer the land. And we learned in 1 through 4 that God was not going to stop them. He was going to allow Babylon to destroy the nation of Judah. <clears throat> now, if you thought that in all the reading we've done in chapters 1 through 4, with all sort of the doom and gloom and fire and brimstone of all those messages that Jeremiah had, if you thought that was all that God had to say regarding Judah's sin, you would be wrong. As a matter of fact, chapter 5 reads a lot like what's called in legal terms a bill of particulars. I had to look that up. What is a bill of particulars? Well, it is a detailed, formal, written statement of charges or claims by a plaintiff or the prosecution given to the defendant upon formal request in the court. It's really a time when you may be charged with a crime and you ask the court to have the prosecution spell out what the charges are so you know exactly what you're dealing with. It's a formal request and it's responded to with a formal submission in writing of what the charges are. And chapter 5 reads like a bill of particulars. I don't know if Judah had ever asked God, the people, hey God, what's your beef with us? Tell us in writing. I don't know if they ever did that, but I know that in chapter 5, God gives it to them anyways. So that there would be no confusion as to why the judgment was coming to them. 
You know, sometimes we have this incorrect image of God. We picture him up in the clouds, and he's waiting to just catch us making one mistake so he can throw his lightning bolt down on us and smite us. Or sometimes we think maybe he's just kind of random. He just acts harshly or, or, or out of, you know, um, without reason and consequences us for things and we don't even know what it is that we did wrong or why we're receiving the consequence. I'm here to tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. The image of God that we get in Jeremiah is of a very patient and controlled God. Slow to anger. Decades worth of patience with the people of Judah. And very specific in his judgments or his disciplines that he hands out to those he loves. Verse 6. Therefore, a lion from the forest will attack them. A wolf from the desert will ravage them. A leopard will lie in wait near the towns to tear to pieces any who venture out. For their rebellion is great, their backslidings many. Why should I forgive you? You children have forsaken me and sworn by gods that are not gods. I supplied all their needs, yet they committed adultery and thronged the houses of prostitutes. They are well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for another man's wife. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? The Lord, should I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? As we've been learning, Jeremiah is full of language like this. It's intense. It's graphic. This is God's bill of particulars to the people of Judah. I want to point out a couple of highlights that spoke to me as I went through the bill. The first one is right there in verse 1. Go up, which we already read, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem, look around and consider through her, and search through her squares. If you can find any, if you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. God told Jeremiah to go to the city of Jerusalem and search for one good man. And Jeremiah came back and reported that he couldn't find even one. Now, this, of course, is hyperbole. It's an overstatement because the truth is Jeremiah was a righteous man. So there was at least one and there were a few other people that were still righteous. As a matter of fact, later, God's going to call that group of people a remnant. But in comparison to the society as a whole, the number of good people in Judah was insignificant. I saw this meme recently. It said, does Finland actually exist? The, the country of Finland has a population of about 5.4 million people. The population of planet Earth is about 7.4 million. If you do the math, that comes out to be about 0.07% of the population is in Finland. Another way to say that is more than 99.9% .9 of all the people on Earth are not Finnish. Now, in any statistical analysis, there's always a margin of error. And if you allow for even a 1% margin of error in that study, that means that there's a 50-50 chance that the people in Finland don't actually exist. 
God was trying to make a point here that the righteous remnant that did exist was so insignificant in Judah that they weren't even statistically relevant. Are we as Christians even statistically relevant in our society? You know, the language here is also very similar, if you know your Bible, to another story in the Bible, Genesis 18, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you know the story, Abraham's nephew, Lot, lived in Sodom, and God said he was going to destroy the city. And so Abraham has this conversation with God because he wants to protect Lot. And he says, if I can find just 10 righteous people, would you please protect the city, not destroy it? And God says, okay. And unfortunately, Abraham couldn't find 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he had to get his nephew and just his immediate family to escape the city before God destroyed it. The point of this story is that the condition of the people of Judah was actually worse than the condition of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because in Sodom, Abraham tried to find 10, but in Judah, Jeremiah could only, couldn't even find one righteous person. Another thing that jumps out at me is found in verses 2 and 3. Although they say, as surely as the Lord lives, still they are swearing falsely. Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. Another thing that jumps out at me in the bill of particulars, in addition to them being so corrupted that they were worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, is the fact that at least on three occasions, or on multiple occasions, God called the people of Judah to repent, and they refused to repent. And the truth is, three was an understatement. For decades, God had been calling the people of Judah to repent or be destroyed. Yet they refused. The message that I get from that is that God is not a reactionary God. He's not up there just waiting to strike. The opposite is actually true. He's incredibly patient with us. Decades worth of patience. The third thing that jumps out at me in the bill of particulars is in verse 4 and 5. Go, I thought, these are only the poor. They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I will go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. Now, as I read this, I see this as Jeremiah. Jeremiah is actually intervening. God is making his charges, and Jeremiah is hearing the charges, and he thinks, wait a second, this can't be true. They can't be that bad off. I think they're just really ignorant. Maybe they're just foolish. Let me go and speak to them. Jeremiah goes and speaks to them, and he finds out that the opposite was true. They were really more sinful than they were ignorant or foolish. Here's the point. The point of God submitting a bill of particulars was to confirm what they and we in reading the story already know. Because of their immorality, 
because of their idolatry, because of their lack of repentance, they deserved every bit of the judgment that was coming to them. That sounds harsh. That sounds challenging. Someone who, we, you know, in our culture, we love to talk about the grace of God, and we have a hard time talking about the judgment of God. But let me just tell you, there are times where God's judgment is the only right and moral thing to be done. And Judah had fallen into that state. Therefore, verse 6, a lion from the forest will attack them. A wolf from the desert will ravage them. A leopard will lie in wait near their towns to tear to pieces any who venture out. For their rebellion is great, their backslidings many. Why should I forgive you? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by gods that are not gods. I supply all their needs, yet they committed adultery and thronged to the houses of prostitutes. They are well-fed, lusty stallions, each name for another man's wife. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on a nation such as this. That is why God's judgment was coming and why it would be swift like the attack of a lion, a wolf, and a leopard. And it would be just. You know, sometimes in my life I make bad decisions and I don't necessarily feel the implication right away. Sometimes it creeps up on you months, years, even, even years later. There's other times you make a bad decision and it's in your face right away. The one thing I know about God is he will not be mocked. And if we don't watch ourselves, if we don't make better choices, judgment will come and judgment will come swiftly. Verse 10, so go through her vineyards and ravage them, but do not destroy them completely. Strip off the branches for these people do not belong to the Lord. The people of Israel and the people of Judah have been utterly unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. They've lied about the Lord. They said, he will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. The prophets are but wind and the word is not in them. So let what they say be done to them. Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty says. Because the people have spoken these words, I will make my words in your mouth a fire. And these people, the wood it consumes. People of Israel declares, Lord, I am bringing a distant nation against you, an ancient and enduring nation, a people whose language you do not know, whose speech you do not understand. Their quivers are like an open grave. All of them are mighty warriors. They will devour your harvest and food, devour your sons and daughters. They will devour your flocks and herds, devour your vines and fig trees. With the sword, they will destroy the fortified cities in which you trust. Even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not destroy you completely. And when the people ask, why has the Lord our God done all this to us? You will tell them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your own land, so now you will serve foreigners in a land not your own. Even after they had received the bill of particulars, verse 12 tells us that the people said, he will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never cede, see sword or famine. Don't ever be deceived. If you continue to make bad choices, a judgment will come. Only the fools, only the openly rebellious will say, nah, 
God's not going to do what he says. We don't have time, but it would be interesting to hear your story if you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ today. And I bet somewhere in your story, there was a moment of judgment that hit your life. And that moment of judgment is what woke you up. I think in Alcoholics Anonymous, they call it hitting bottom. There is a time where God brings us to our bottom, to the end of ourselves, because of the choices we make, the bad ones anyways. Don't be a fool and keep trying to say, nah, ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen to me. Ain't going to happen to me. I'm going to share a story from my life, a little embarrassing. Some of you kind of know the first part of this story. I've shared it before, but, you know, a couple years ago, we had some work that we needed done on our house, and it was actually on our pool in our backyard, and we, contrary to all good wisdom, interviewed contractors and chose the cheapest. Some of you that own a home or have had some work done on a car or something, you get the point, right? It's You're trying to save every dime you can, you know, but then... You, you get some bids and you know this guy, he looks really good. His shop is clean, looks like he does good work. But then there's this guy over here, he's half the price. It's really hard not to go with half the price, right? So we went with half the price. Unfortunately, that guy was doing everything wrong, almost turned into a big disaster, almost destroyed our pool. We had to stop him, we had to fire him, and we found another contractor. Again, not licensed and the cheapest. You'd think I'd learned my lesson. He did some good work. He did some things right, but towards the end, he began to be very flaky and didn't finish the job completely. So our backyard is basically okay, but it's not finished. Fast forward to four weeks ago. We had a problem in our kitchen. We decided, well, maybe we should remodel the kitchen. The house is built in 1960. It's never, never been remodeled. So we did the numbers and we crunched the math and we said, okay, we can afford this much, but only if we can get a contractor at this price. So we interviewed contractors, and none of the good licensed ones were even anywhere near our price. So what did we do? We went with the cheapest guy possible. <laughs> Last week, I had to call him and fire him, because as looking at his work, it, wasn't sub it was substandard. It wasn't up to par. He was a nice guy. Paid him for his trouble, but we had to stop all work and look for another contractor. Again, I interviewed contractors and found another cheap guy. And everything in me was wanting to go with him because he was the most affordable choice. And I just, maybe I'm an endless optimist, I don't know. But I just keep making these bad choices. Fortunately, by happenstance, we came across an actual licensed contractor. He came in, his bid was very reasonable, and praise God, he started work, and we're moving in a good direction finally. Let's hope the story ends well. I'm not sure if it will. But how many times do I have to make bad choices before I start making good choices? Some of you are at the beginning of your life. You're starting into school. You're going off to college. There is a whole world of bad choices out there. And they're the most attractive and fun of the choices when you look at them, at least at the front end. But there is a cost on the back end. Anybody who's older in life and has experienced that would love to sit down with you and go, please listen to my story. 
Don't make the mistakes I made. But somehow, and I love every one of you guys that are launching into life, but somehow you're going to make every bad mistake that we've all made. I hope and pray to God that you will come back, though. That you will come back to the right choice. That you'll eventually find a licensed contractor who can help you. (laughs) Get the job done right. It's as incredible as this may sound that these people just continued to make the wrong choice even after receiving consequences and warnings and all so on. They just kept going back to it. It's even more incredible to me that God did not destroy them completely. I mean, is there not a point where he just starts over? Look at verse 13. The prophets are but wind, and the word is not in them. So let what they say be done to them. Verse 18, yet even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not destroy you completely. It's incredible to me that with all of the trouble Judah was going through, and here was Jeremiah and a few other people calling them to better choices, they literally said they're full of wind. They're gas bags. They're blowing hot air. Don't listen to them. And then God says, I will not destroy you completely. It's amazing to me, the grace of God, that in all the stupid decisions I've made, not just contractors aside, but even the deeply wrong and immoral things that I've done in my life, that God didn't destroy me completely. Because the truth is, that is what I earned. That is what I deserved. Many of you can relate. Many of you should not be sitting here today because of the choices you made. Yet here you are. God did not destroy you completely. I love verse 19. And when the people ask, why has the Lord our God done all this to us? You will tell them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your own land, so now you will serve foreigners in a land not your own. The world may go from bad to worse, but God always protects the faithful few. Why? Why does he leave a remnant behind so that they could tell the next generation? Why are you here today when you didn't deserve to be here today? Why am I here today when I don't deserve to be here today? Because I have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. It's to tell the next person Learn from my mistakes. Learn from what I've been through and don't make the same mistake. It is a grace of God that you are sitting in this pew this morning. That you've been given an opportunity to be refined as through fire. And yet here you are. You were not taken back up into heaven because God has something for you to do. It's not just in the bad cycle of bad choices, but it's to Tell your world about what God has done for you. You have an oikos. 
You have a group of people in your life that only you can talk to. You could bring them to me and I could talk to them till I'm blue in the face, but they don't know me like they know you. You have the message they need to hear. Verse 20, announce this to the descendants of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. Waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. These people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives autumn and spring rains and season, who assures us of regular weeks of harvest. Your wrongdoings have kept these away. Your sins have deprived you of food. Among my people are the wicked who lie in wait like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch people, like cages full of birds. Their houses are full of deceit. They've become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the cause of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. Should I not punish them for this? Declares the Lord. Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? A horrible and shocking thing has happened in Israel. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And the people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? Chapter 5 ends with this very blunt declaration and summary of some of the many reasons why God's judgment was coming upon Judah. Let's take a look at three of them. Number one, they did not fear the Lord. Verse 24 said, They do not say to themselves, Let us fear the Lord our God, who gives autumn and spring rains and season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. He also talked about the oceans, how God put them in there in their place, and they can't leave that place. The point is, the people of Judah stopped fearing God. Even though he was the God of creation who controls the location of the oceans. I know there's a lot of concern about what's going to happen to the level of the ocean. God says, I put it in its place. Nothing you can do is going to knock it out of its place. Rather than fear a change in temperature, fear the Lord. Secondly, they did not promote justice. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the cause of the poor. That was that whole analogy of cages with birds and people lying in wait and snaring birds. What he was saying is that there were people in the, the, the people of Judah were actually taking advantage of each other in the nation. They were hurting their own fellow person. Justice, doing right by other people, had gone out the window. We live in a world. Where justice is oftentimes corrupted. People get mistreated. Law is not obeyed. Others are set free while others are imprisoned. 
God judges a nation that does not promote justice. They did not practice true religion. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? This hits home for me. As your minister, I believe my calling is to lead this church into fearing the Lord, to promoting justice, and to practicing true religion. I am held accountable to these things, and I take it very seriously. What are you called to do as a member of Simi Church? What is God holding you accountable to? I have a hint. I'll give you a hint. Fear the Lord. Promote justice. And practice true religion. What does it mean to fear the Lord? I thought a lot about this. And the best I can come up with, I'm sure you could come up with something even better, is to be in awe of all of God. We sometimes translate fear the Lord into being afraid of God. And let me just say, that's a good place to start. God is someone to be afraid of. Jeremiah, a very, I mean Isaiah, a very righteous prophet, when he saw God, he fell down and said, I'm undone. If God was to manifest Himself even in the slightest way in this room, we would shake in fear, in terror. But that's not all that fearing the Lord is about. It's also about being in awe of all of His qualities. Being in awe, not just of His judgment, but of His love. Not just His righteousness, but His mercy. It's being in awe of everything He is. When was the last time you were moved to tears and experienced awe just by appreciating the unconditional love that God has given you? When was the last time you've been in awe by just appreciating the hope that God has given you? Fearing the Lord is to be in awe of all of Him. What does it mean to seek justice? Well, I think the golden rule is a good place to start. Who knows the golden rule? Somebody shout it out. You almost shouted it. Shout it out. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's a great part, place to start when it comes to justice, seeking justice for another person. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. But I would like to add to that. In fact, I'd like to rephrase that. Because I don't think that is just the goal of the golden rule. I don't think it ends there. I think it has to have a purpose. So here's my definition of what it means to seek justice. It is to do right by people so that they can be right with God. Justice for justice sake is not 
the end of justice. It is to bring them to a new place, to a new understanding. To be right with God is how we really, truly bring justice to our fellow person. I'm not opposed to protest when there's an injustice. But it shouldn't just end there. It needs to bring people to God if it's truly to be justice. What does it mean to practice true religion? I think the ABCs, admitting you're a sinner who needs a Savior, believe that Jesus is Lord, and covenant with Him at baptism is a good place to start. Chapter 6. Flee for safety, people of Benjamin. Flee from Jerusalem. Sound the trumpet in Tekoa. Raise the signal over Beth Hakarim, for disaster looms out of the north. Even terrible destruction. I will destroy daughter Zion, so beautiful and delicate. Shepherds with their flocks will come against her. They will pitch their tents around her, each tending his own portion. Prepare for battle against her. Arise, let us attack at noon. But alas, the daylight is fading. The shadows of evening grow long. So arise, let us attack at night and destroy her fortress. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Cut down the trees and build siege ramps against Jerusalem. This city must be punished. It is filled with oppression. Violence and destruction resound in her. Her sickness and wounds are ever before me. Take warning, Jerusalem, or I will turn away from you and make your land desolate so no one can live in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Let them glean the remnant of Israel as thoroughly as a vine. Pass your hand over the branches again, like one gathering grapes. To whom can I speak and give warning? To whom will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. But I am full of wrath of the Lord, and I cannot hold it in. Pour it out on the children in the street and on the young men gathered together. Both husband and wife will be caught in it. The old, those weighed down with years." Their houses will be turned over to others, together with their fields, their wives. When I stretch out my hand against those who live in the land, declares the Lord. From the least to the greatest, they are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. They are ashamed of their detestable conduct. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. They will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down. When I punish them, says the Lord. I promise we're going to wrap up fairly quickly. I want to get through all of chapter 6. I'm not going to take it section by section. We're just going to look at one big chunk that I read. We'll make a point. I'll take another big chunk. We'll make a point and we'll finish. One of the most striking things about chapter 6 is how quickly it moves from invasion to destruction of Jerusalem. It begins by sounding the alarm in Tekoa. This is what the Lord says. Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. It begins by sounding the alarm at Tekoa, a city in the north, and calls for people to flee south for safety. Diplomacy, resistance, surrender, they were no longer options. It was time for the people to run. In verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says, cut down the trees and build siege ramps against Jerusalem. This city must be punished. It is filled with oppression. In verse 6, Jeremiah is picturing God as leading the charge against his own people. Judah, 
and Jerusalem. This is God coming in judgment. It is not Babylon. Babylon was just the tool. In verse 10, he says, Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. He reminds them that there was nothing else he could do. He called the people to repent for decades, yet they refused to listen. Verse 14, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Not only did they not listen, but they even preached an opposing, an opposite message from God. Peace, peace. You know, I said, I know that I said before in an earlier message that Jeremiah is a prophetic book and much of what Jeremiah prophesied about didn't happen for another 10 to 20 years. But I believe chapter 6 is actually close to the time that that judgment was coming. And so that means that chapters 1 through 6 in Jeremiah are fairly in, are, are pretty much in chronological order, although chapter 6 seems to be towards the end when Babylon is at hand, when they are on their way. There's so much more urgency in this chapter, so much more seriousness. It's as if it's happening now. So that's about 40 years of time that's spanned in Jeremiah 1 through 6, which means that in all the other chapters, because there's 50-something chapters in Jeremiah, Apparently, they're all out of order. They're all in a mixed bag of chronological order. So when we get through those sections, just know that they all sort of take place in between chapters 1 and 6 for the most part. But I want to draw your attention to verse 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Let them glean the remnant of Israel as thoroughly as a vine. Pass your hand over the branches again like one gathering grapes. You know, I I know I said earlier that God protects the righteous, and that is true. If you are a covenanted believer in Jesus Christ, you have the protection of God. It is one of the greatest blessings that we have as followers of God. We have divine protection. You go out into the world and you are special. You are unique. Where you go, the Spirit of God goes with. But that doesn't mean that you might not have to suffer like everyone else. Even for things that aren't your fault. We had tragedies this last couple of hours, last 24 hours. Some of those victims, all of those victims, had nothing to do with the evil that was in the heart of a couple of people, and they suffered. Yes, we have divine protection. But yes, we sometimes have to suffer along with everyone else. The first big point in chapter 6 that I want to make is this. Suffering is a part of the believer's life. Even if it's not our fault, we need to learn to accept it and learn 
from it. God has this interesting way of trying to teach us lessons in life by letting us suffer the consequences of our sin or maybe of someone else's sin. The point is to teach you to make better choices. Verse 16, and we're going to close here. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. You will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear your, hear you earth. I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calmness from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. Parents, therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will put obstacles before this people. Parents and children alike will stumble over them. Neighbors and friends will perish. This is what the Lord says. Look, an army is coming from the land of the north. A great nation is being stirred up from the ends of the earth. They are armed with bow and spear. They are cruel and show no mercy. They sound like the roaring sea. They ride on their horses. They come like men in battle formation to attack you, daughter Zion. We have heard the reports about them. Our hands hang limp. Anguish has gripped us. Pain like that of a woman in labor. Do not go out to the fields or walk on the roads, for the enemy has a sword, and there is terror on every side. Put sackcloth on my people. Roll in ashes. Mourn in bitter wailing. As for an only son, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. I have made you a tester of metals, and my people the ore, that you may observe and test their ways. They are hardened rebels going about to slander. They are bronze and iron, and they will act corruptly. The bellows blow fiercely to burn away the lead with fire. But the refining goes on in vain. The wicked are not purged out. They are called rejected silver because the Lord has rejected them. As chapter 6 comes to a close, God is restating why all of this is happening. And he uses this really interesting image. In verse 14, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. God had given Judah opportunity after opportunity they stood at a crossroads many times in their history. One road would lead to death. The other road would lead to life. They were given the choice, and they continued to make bad choices. They were like the politician. Spent a day in heaven. He spent a day in hell. And he failed to recognize which was truly better. And he made a bad choice. We started out chapter 5 with God's bill of particulars against Judah, and we've ended chapter 6 with the execution of his judgment against them. And the message, as doom and gloom as it is, as negative as it sounds, as hard as it is to hear, the message to them is the same message that I'm leaving with you today. Make better choices. There's a lot at stake for you and for the people you love.
We're going to close out now in a word of prayer. I'm going to invite you to stand. If you'd like to know more about what it means to get right with God, I'd encourage you to come next month, first Sunday of the month of September, to our ABC class. If you're not ready, that's okay. We're glad you're here. We hope that you keep coming back. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we do come to you very humbled. In touch, God, with our sin. The goal here is not to repeat the mistakes of Judah. The goal is to learn from their mistakes and to make better choices. I pray, God, that I take this message to heart. I pray that every one of us takes this message to heart, that we leave here today and we make a decision to make better choices. And God, that we tell the people we love about our decision. And we, we love them and we encourage them to make better choices themselves. At the end of the day, God, we don't want just a remnant. We want many, many, many souls saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.